there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds. You're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, your favorite basketball voice, one of the smartest basketball people that you can find, Jacob Badilla. Jacob, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I don't know that I'm anybody's favorite voice of anything. I've, I've always said I've, I've got a... Uh, uh, a voice for writing. Uh, so I kind of picked the right career path in that regard. Okay. All right. I will amend it to favorite writer. Then we'll have yeah. people, we'll have cam change it to favorite writer. <laughs> um, you, I, I have you on this week to talk about basketball. So obviously we're recording this on a Thursday afternoon, um, Wednesday, December 15th, the early signing period opened uh, football recruiting is the hot topic right now. Nebraska signed sort of a small class. Greg Smith has all of the info that you could want to read on that at hailvarsity.com. So go there. Also, Greg's got his own podcast, straight up breakdown podcast. Go subscribe to that. Jacob, you also have a basketball podcast, which I would encourage everybody to go listen to. What's the name of it? Nebraska shoot around with Jacob Bigelow. So go subscribe to that. If you want more basketball conversation, this is going to be a brief discussion. I just wanted to bring you on um, because Nebraska men's basketball is five and six as of recording this. They play Kansas State Sunday. Uh, so depending on when you guys are listening to this podcast, they may have already played. Something may have already happened. We'll see. Um, but they're five and six as of us recording this. And the last two losses have been by, I believe, 30 points yeah, or 30 more each more game. Yep. Um, they're working on four straight losses, beginning with the overtime game to NC State, which was – um, incredibly dramatic in how they lost it. So, Jacob, I just I, I kind of want to just like touch base with you and get a feel for what you've seen through the first eleven games of the season. Um, there is the like Trev Alberts tweet that's out there. I don't really want to talk about that. Um, let's just talk about basketball for for the next thirty minutes or so. They're five and six. They've lost four straight. Why? What's going on? <laughs> well, here is the single best stat, I think, that will encapsulate what is going on with Nebraska. Obviously, we all know what the, the way that Fred Hoiberg wants his teams to play and uh, the style. Um, and they are shooting 23.9% on catch-and-shoot jump shots in the half court, according to Synergy. Jesus. And they are shooting 28.1% on those shots that are considered unguarded, which is not, not ideal. They are in the first percentile nationally in, in points per possession on catch and shoot jumpers. Right now they can't shoot and they're a team built around shooting. And when that's the case, 
we see them struggle to score like they are, and then things kind of uh, snowball from there, especially with some of the other st- stuff that they've been dealing with, with the injuries and the illness and all that kind of stuff kind of harkens back to some of what they were trying to deal with last year where they had enough problems on the court to deal with. And then they had all this other stuff that kind of piled on top of it. And that's how you end up with another seven win season, despite the team probably being at least a little bit better than that uh, in in terms of talent and ability. So that's, that's where we are now. I mean, we haven't even reached big time play yet. So they're 125th right now nationally in in Ken Palm, 134th in adjusted offensive efficiency. Um, I guess like you look at the you look at the profile for this team and they're playing the way Hoiberg wants to play, right? Generally, yeah, forty yeah, percent of their shots at the rim, forty percent from three, uh, only twenty percent in the mid range. Yeah, they're shooting. Let's see, what are they shooting from? They're shooting like twenty five percent from three overall yeah. right now. Five point nine. Twenty five point nine. Yeah, and they're getting forty percent of their shots there in transition. They're taking nearly 50% of transition opportunities from three and they're shooting 29.9% on transition three pointers. Um, the whole, the whole thing with Fred has been, well, they, 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 they're playing stylistically the way he wants to play. They're just not hitting shots. And so each off season, it's been like, well, let's go find shooters then let's, let's tweak it a little bit and let's go find shooters. And that was really the big thing this off season was that they, I mean, did you think that they, they, this collection of talent on paper, or at least at the start of the season, looked like the best collection of shooters that he's had. I don't understand why we've gotten into the season, and this has happened multiple times now, and guys just can't hit shots. Yeah, well, the problem is not only – it's even worse than that because they made a conscious effort to go out and we are and said we are going to recruit shooters here. The, the point of kind of this last class and players bringing in was to get some floor spacing on there to, to put around uh, a guy like Bryce McGowan's put around Trey McGowan's when he was healthy. And then Alonzo Verge, although they didn't know he would be the guy when, um, w- when they went out and put the class together, because that was kind of a late Lionel Banton replacement, but they were trying to go out there and get shooters to put around their playmakers so that those guys would have a chance to be more effective than w- they were last year. And so he went out and Casey Tomonaga, who had been committed for, for a while out of Juco, uh, C.J. Wilcher as a transfer. Um, Latmayen is, is, uh, led him in three-pointers last year, shot 35%, which isn't great, especially for his role, but um, he was at least making them at an above-average rate. Wilhelm Breidenbach was a guy that they liked his ability to, to shoot the ball. Um, Keon Edwards is another transfer who they um, apparently said could shoot the ball. And right now we've got – and Bryce, obviously uh, – the three-point shot was part of the, this, his strength as well. Uh, he shot at a really high rate at Wren, uh, 40% over the first three years or so. Then that dropped down into the, thir- the mid-30s, last, uh, his last year at Legacy Early Prep. But he was also creating a lot of his looks and uh, just generally taking harder shots. So the fact that he hit 30-some percent on that is a decent, uh, decent percentage for the, the attempts he was having. Yet Bryce is shooting 20.4% on four-and-a-half attempts a game. Tominaga is at 33.9% on 5.1 attempts per game. Wilcher is at 33.3% on four and a half a game. Kobe Webster, who came back for uh, his extra year, 33.3% on three attempts a game. Latman is at 23.5% on three and a half attempts per game. Breidenbach was at 
15% on two attempts per game before he got hurt. Trevor Lakes hasn't, has only played in five games. He's like one for six. Um, and Keon Edwards has not hit a three yet. He is uh, 0, for, 0 for 12 so far this season. So those are the guys that you were counting on to come in and be able to hit shots. And not a single one of them can even get to 34% from three. So you throw out the number at the beginning, the catch and shoot number, and we've heard the, the uncontested number. Is it, is it mental with these guys? Cause like one of the questions I wanted to ask you was how, how much of an impact does losing Trey McGowan so early in the season have on their offense and the, the way that they're operating. But if you're shooting such a low percentage on catch and shoot, such a low percentage on uncontested, that's not a product of, of, you know, not necessarily having a guy that can create for others. That's just a product of dudes missing their shots. Yeah. They, they, I just just noticed they're actually shooting a slightly better percentage on off the dribble jumpers than they are on unguarded catch and shoot jumpers. And that is really hard to do as a team. It's 28.7 to 28.1. So not like they're great off the dribble either, but they're doing better than wide open catch and shoot threes. Um, And the reason I said it's even worse because they went out and put this emphasis on recruiting the shooters is because they did it um, with, with the, with the uh, kind of cost of, all right, we're going to, we're not going to worry as much about perimeter defenders. We're not going to worry as much about guys that can go create a shot. We just need to go get some shooters. So the guys that we do have uh, that can make plays off the bounce have room to work with. So when those guys aren't hitting shots and defenses are crowding the paint against Verge and McGowan's kind of, what's your plan B? Like CJ Wilter, Casey Tomonaga, these aren't guys that are going to go create their own shot. Same, same with Latmayen. So that's how we get to the point where the offense just looks like a mess, where it's Verge trying to do everything himself. It's Bryce taking hard shots because they don't really have other guys that can create offense. Derek Walker, his efficiency is ridiculous right now, but it's he's very selective with his shot attempts, and, it's, uh, and they can only get him the ball so much. How many times have we seen – uh, Verge turned the ball over trying to feed Derek Walker because teams are, are ready for it because they know that's kind of the one source of efficient offense that Nebraska has right now. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a, a roster that was that brought it that put together to uh, be able to shoot the ball and they can't shoot the ball right now. And so, what the, the mess that we see in offensively is the result of kind of guys not doing what they were brought here to do and not having other ways that they can really contribute consistently. And then on the other side of the, the ball, that's kind of, they, again, they sacrifice some defensive ability to go out and get guys that could theoretically put the ball on the hoop and trade threes for twos uh, in that, in that way. And uh, a lot of these guys ahead are, are poor defenders uh, on top of um, not being able to hit shots right now. So it's just all kind of spiraling out of control simply because it all traces back to the, the the ability to hit the shots because I think we've seen some we've seen some up and down like there's some stretches where they do execute the offense at a pretty good rate they do share the ball uh, Verge has kind of there's stretches where he's he's been really good some stretches where he's tried to do way too much and taking really bad shots but I think that all goes back to um, the overall offensive struggles where I think if they were in a ro- in a rhythm I think you'd be able to get that out of verge a little bit more consistently where he is finding shooters. He is feeding Walker. He is uh, 
taking good shots when he goes and attack with occasional one or two uh, force here. But because everything else isn't working, then he feels more pressure. Like I got to go be this guy. And that's when it leads to what we've seen so far. So it all traces back to that shooting. Trey McGowan's he, that's a, I think that has had a massive impact. I think maybe they, they win that North Carolina state game. If McGowan's is there, they simply did not have a single person on the roster that could even get in the way of Darion Sebron going to the rim. Dude ended up with 39 points in that game, 20 free throw attempts. And it was just, they couldn't find a way to stay between him and the basket. They just had nobody on the ball that could stay in front and their help defense wasn't particularly great either. Um, but I think it, it, you have a guy like McGowan's. He is the one guy on the roster with above average lateral quickness that, that can actually get after it defensively. And so you lose him. He is a guy that while he's not great offensively off the bounce, he is better than basically everybody else, not named Burge uh, and Bryce. So that it would be another option where shots aren't falling swing it, swing it, and then Trey can attack a closeout uh, and make something happen that way. So it is, it is, I think, a significant part of this. I think they, they'd be in a little bit better spot with Trey, but it's not like Trey would have fixed everything either. It's Yeah, Derek Walker's uh, numbers are, are funny. He's He's got a true or effective field goal percentage of 80%, and he's only taking seven shots per 40 minutes, which is yeah. remarkable. Um, the So like one of the – like your defense flows to your offense, right? Like this, this feels like it would be a team that, that would be built to, to be a transition team. That would be a team that would be significantly more comfortable playing in transition than trying to generate offense out of the half court. And with all of the shooters that, you know, they, they projected to have, if you've got a guy like Bryce McGowan's or Trey McGowan's or verge in a transition opportunity, and he can crash and then kick to crash the defense and then kick to a corner three point shooter. Maybe it's a little bit better, but there, I guess, do you have any problems with what's going on defensively? They're at the rim numbers two years ago. They were going up like 35% of shots at the rim two years ago. That number is a little bit down their three point numbers. They're still kind of giving up the same kind of shots, but opponents are hitting 36% on threes against Nebraska right now, which is uh, about five percentage points higher than it was last year. Is that, is that teams just, hitting shots on them. Is that missing? You just talked about missing trays. Like one of the only guys on the, on the, the roster you said with above average lateral ability, I, I guess, is this just a, a combination of like teams are just hitting shots on them. They're missing one of their better perimeter defenders and then heads are, are sinking as they go back down the floor because of it. That, that's, yeah, that's a huge part of it. Um, they haven't been, so it's not like they've been a disaster start to finish in every game. They've had stretches where they're competing, they're forcing turnovers, they're rotating, but they're just too many guys that can't or don't sustain that effort. There are guys that really bad close out where um, guy will help the helper and then that guy won't recover. He'll just stand in the lane as opposed to recovering to cover for the guy that covered for him. Um, obviously they don't have a lot of rim protection, so that hurts as well. Um, a, a lot of their perimeter basically all their perimeter players are pretty slow footed. Um, so if, if you get the ball rotating, it's it, teams have a chance to really hurt Nebraska by attacking closeouts because their closeouts aren't the best and either that, or they close out and get blown by, or they close out slowly and give up the open three. So it's not a very good defensive roster to begin with, just in terms of physical tools. And then they haven't, the, the effort and the execution have not been there consistently either. Um, so they, they've shown some stretches where they can compete defensively, but 
there, there are too many stretch. And I, these last two games, we'll see what happens with Kansas State in particular. That's a huge game. Like if, if they lose that one as well, Kansas State isn't isn't a great team, but they uh, they've been competitive while losing to every high major team they've played so far. So if Nebraska can't get this one, then the Big Ten play is probably going to be pretty rough because they've had a whole week to, to, to work on some things, to tweak some things. Obviously, losing Wilhelm Breidenbach likely for the season uh, doesn't help. But now Hoiberg has a chance to kind of toy with things this week and figure out, all right, what, what are we going to do? What is the rotation going to look like without him? And Trey McGowan sounds like his recovery is closer to the six weeks than the eight weeks. That was the original timeline, but that's still – They'll still be out for a few more weeks. Um, so it's it's kind of a – it's secret – it's quietly a really uh, big game on Sunday because if that's another one they lose, then it's kind of like, all right, what high major team can they beat? Because Kansas State is probably right up there with one of the, the weaker uh, high major foes that played this year. So stick on defense for a second. What – Eduardo Andres played 100 minutes in nine games. What it, With with Breedenbach out, what's what's the role for him? Like you talk about the team lacks rim protection. I don't, is he a rim protector? I mean, he's a big guy. Like, can you just throw him out there and see what you have? Uh, well, I mean, Oiberg's kind of done that for stretches. He's tried there. Andre's just not quite where he needs to be to, to play consistent, like heavy backup minutes right now, because he'll go out there and occasionally he'll like, I think there's one game he came out and locked a shot on his first possession, but then they're, possessions where he's kind of lost or possessions where he tries to do too much with the handoff and the dribbling and turns the ball over and then gives the other team kind of pick six and that type of thing. Um, yeah. He's averaging but, less than a block per 40 and yeah. about five turnovers per 40. Yeah. So yeah. like so he's still right super there. raw. Yeah. So the, yeah, they, I think he's, they, they talked a lot about kind of the improvement he made in the off season and he showed some flashes in the second half of last season, but it just doesn't seem like he's there where he can consistently bring kind of the positives that he's got the ability to um, the ways that he can impact the court because he does have that wingspan. Uh, he's, I think Hoiberg said it's close to seven foot five. He is six eleven as tall as anybody they're going to throw out there. And he is nimble-ish uh, for his guy. He's shown the ability to, to make some good plays in the pick and roll and things like that. It's just, I think Hoiberg said the key is kind of keeping it simple for him when he's out there and not trying to do too much. Um, and he, he struggled with that a little bit. So why have they not prioritized adding someone that can fill that role in the center that is not Derek Walker? Like what, like if you're going to play this kind of style where you're going to play perimeter centric, where you're going to prioritize shooting, where you want your guys to run, you still need, that guy that can give you a little bit of rim protection that can give you a little bit of, of inside presence specifically in the big 10. Why have they not prioritized that guy? Why is Why is Derek Walker the, the center? Uh, because he's the best they've been able to land at this point. Um, I don't think it's, it's not like they haven't tried. So Adama Sanogo, um, they were in it to the end there with him. And uh, in the end, he ended up uh, kind of, deciding to go with UConn instead. And that's a guy that would have been a two-way impact player. He's one of UConn's best players as a sophomore already this year. Um, and so they, they, they've certainly put a prior, they've tried, they just haven't been able to land kind of that difference maker. We'll see. They've got Blaze Kata coming in next year. Um, he's 
the top rated JUCO center in the country, legit 6'11", 250, something like that. Um, true center size, rebound the ball, can block shots and go finish at the rim. So he is probably the closest thing they've had to a true impact center since Hardwick's been in Lincoln and uh, first one of those in Nebraska for quite a while. Um, so we'll have to see kind of what that looks like next year. But in the meantime, Walker's kind of the best they got that Breidenbach was kind of the, the best, I think, front court recruit that they were able to land in that recruiting class last year. And he struggled somewhat, but he also brought a lot of energy and there was a lot of positives uh, from that. And I think they'll definitely miss his hustle, even if he wasn't able to get the shots to go in. And there are a few plays where he's like, whoa, okay, I, you can kind of see why they like him so much. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see kind of what Kata can do um, and how he can change, transform this next year. Question for you, moving back into the backcourt. Let's say Bryce McGowan starts shooting 32% on his threes. And the two to two, basically two to two assist to turnover ratio trends a little bit more towards assists. He's, he's, he's a little bit more effective at, at creating without turning the ball over. How, how much does that change? Like, the, like when Fred, talk, I mean, he's a five-star guy. When Fred talked about him prior to the season, he said it's going to take some time for him to get adjusted. You know, he's a freshman. He's a first-year player in the Big Ten. It was going to take time. I guess let's let's just speculate that, you know, five to ten games from now, he starts shooting, I don't know, 32% from three. A little bit closer to what he was shooting in high school. And he's creating a little bit more than he's turning it over. How much does that help or fix or smooth? Uh, it definitely makes a big impact um, if he is able to be. And we've seen him play like that for stretches this year. We've seen him obviously rebound at a high rate. He's leading the team in rebounding. He had a few, basically the first, the, the next uh, uh, four or five games after Trey went down, he really stepped up his playmaking. He had like 15 assists and um in four games or something like that um so he he has shown the ability to impact the game in that way i think what we've seen so far is just kind of the physicality and his lack of strength really hold him back is that that nc state game he had so many chances at the rim he ended up with 24 points on 23 shots and that easily could have been a 30 piece if he was able to finish he had he had the free throw that could have won it um in overtime one of the overtimes that they've all kind of blurred together at this point, he had the kind of transition layup um, that he just short armed. Obviously he had played a lot of minutes at that point, but that's another one where you have the strength to, to go up and finish through a minimum amount of contact and lay that in. Then Nebraska's got a lead in that point. Um, so it, it's plays like that where you see, yeah, he can get there. He just hasn't been able to always finish the play because of the lack of strength and kind of the guys he's going against. If that that's, an area where it's going to uh, he's not suddenly going to add 10 pounds in, in the next week like that. He's going to have to continue to work through that and figure out how to make his current strength level work for him in the big 10, the, the kind of adding strength is an off season deal, but he's shown the flashes of being able to be one of the best players on the court. He just has to find a way to, to make that, make that a little bit more consistent and, Nebraska's got to find a way to put him in positions to use his talent. And that's kind of, I think they both failed. He's struggled recently and they haven't exactly been putting him in position where he's getting high quality shots. He's taken a lot of tough ones. 
And that goes back to kind of the overall offensive dysfunction. And I would like to see hopefully a little bit from Hoiberg and his staff in terms of development with Bryce, because he does have a big upside and he came here to show cases overall talent and, um, and he's got to do that some, but I think there's definitely some areas where Hoiberg, all right, can take him aside, go in the film room. All right, this is this, we need to try to take this, this kind of shot out of your game. We don't need that in that moment defensively. Hey, we need a little bit more effort here. You got to get down in the stands. You got to work hard to slide your feet a little bit here. You're going to need to be able to do that at the next level. Like, there's so many little areas in Bryce's game that um, I, I hope that he's able to kind of shore up as we go through the season because he he has to be a really good player for this team to to compete in the Big Ten. And he struggled in his first uh, first few games here against high majors recently. Um, what was the more concerning loss? Creighton, NC State? Michigan or Auburn? Uh, prob- mm, probably Michigan. Um, I think the Creighton game is whatever. It's the third game of the season. And they, they did rally to get back into that game. So it wasn't – they didn't straight up quit. Creighton was just playing at a really high rate. They, they fired back, and then Creighton was able to hold on. NC State, that's probably the most damaging loss. But, I mean, because you had so many times uh, – so many chances to win that game and to not come out with that one. Uh, I, I think that probably hurts them moving forward. And it's part of the reason why we saw these blowout losses, but Michigan one was again, I just listened to Hoiberg, how uh, disappointed he was and kind of at a loss for words he was. And just like, you don't often see coaches uh, admit that their teams quit. And that's exactly what he did after that one. So because with the Auburn, with the shorthanded, the, the lack of practice time because of the illness, like, I think we all kind of saw that coming, especially because Auburn's the best team they played so far, and the matchups were pretty tough. So that's somewhat understandable. Um, I, I think the Michigan game won, though, especially if Michigan had been struggling. It, it, they're a tough matchup, but at the same time, Nebraska just didn't – Nebraska didn't give itself a chance to compete in that game, and a lot of that was effort and execution and things that they can control. And I, I think that, so that's probably the one that you look at. It's like, that's, that's probably the scariest result so far this season. They have Kansas state on Sunday and they play Kennesaw state on Wednesday. They've got the holiday break. They come back with Ohio state and Michigan state on the road. Uh, first week of January. Those will both be tough games. I suspect the Kennesaw state, game should be a win should should be a win hopefully um, they gave creighton a fight here in omaha how you you kind of touched on this before but it feels like the kansas state game is going to be super important in determining the direction that this season continues to head is that putting too much on one game uh i i don't think so because of again like what it might signify it, like a win against K- kennesaw state isn't going to do anything for you. Yeah, it's going to do nothing. If you lose to Kansas State and then you go into what would it be like a 10-day break or something like that, and, you know, you've got all of the extra stuff going around with the program, like there's there's a lot of bad juju. Yeah, and and then you open up with Ohio State and E.G. Liddell, who is playing at a first-team All-American caliber level at this point. Yeah, he's been awesome. Michigan State, who's always tough, and uh, that's that's in East Lansing. Then you go to Rutgers, which is a really hard place to play, even if Rutgers isn't as good as they were a year before. 
and then you you come back home to face Kofi Coburn in Illinois. Then you go to Purdue, who is just number one. They have the seven foot four monster in Zach Eady. And then you face Indiana again. We already saw how that went. Then you face Ohio State again. Like it, it just there are no easy games in the Big Ten this year. And Wisconsin's been better this year. Yeah, they've been better than expected. So that was a game that I thought they had a much better chance at competing in. And suddenly Wisconsin's looking pretty solid uh, as long as Johnny Davis is healthy. So that's that's the that's the other side of it. So Kansas State isn't as good as a lot of teams are going to play in the Big Ten. And then they their first half of the Big Ten is a lot tougher than their second half. So this is a game that they really have to go out and. Like if, if you want to try to uh, recapture some confidence and give the team some belief that they can go out and do this, that it's got to be that game. And you got to be able to ride two games into this really tough slate to open the big 10. You got to get a couple of wins under your belt or things could, could be tough. Yeah. I think you just have to calm the waters a little bit. Just steady this, just like everybody, just take a breath, just steady the ship a little bit. There was a lot of like, uh, I'm done with this, you know, S word, bad word. I'm done with this crap during the Auburn game. And it was like, well, you know, they're missing their starting one of their starting guards. Illness completely ravaged the team. They're on the road. They're playing a good team. But like, you know, if you come out against Kansas State and Kansas State and you, you handle business and you go into winter break, like, you, you know, you can you can take a moment to to, I guess, exhale with everything going on, which feels like it would do them a lot of good. Yeah. And then hopefully Trey's return will provide somewhat of a lift. Um, Parberts talked about how important his kind of personality and leadership is on the court right now and his energy. And so hopefully we'll get him there um, a few games into the conference slate. Like if you can survive that long, you can have some momentum. That'll give you another little boost there. Um, so I, I think this is a really big stretch. Like you said, we've got these two games and then Hoiberg, obviously they've got the holidays and all that stuff, but he's going to have some time to go back in the lab to figure out, all right, what, what, what can we do to kind of change things around and get the most out of what we have right now? Okay. So having said all of that, quick temperature check so we can wrap this up and you can, you can get on with your day because you got stuff to do. Temperature check in terms of, of concern for you, one being... Not at all. Ten being, um, sound the alarm. I'm freaking out. I'm Michael Scott office gif. Dwight is setting fire to the entire office. Where where you at? That, yeah, that I I can't really imagine that. I don't really. Uh... Anyway, do you um, not watch The Office? I, I've never seen an episode. You have never seen an episode of The Office? It, How it did I on... work with you? How have I worked with you for four years and didn't know this? An episode just came on TV one night, and uh, I stuck for like two minutes, and I was like, I'm out. What? But, uh, yeah. Um, no, 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 no. You don't get to move on from this. No, we have to stick on this. What? What? How have I never known this? I think that's the most shocking part of it. I understand that office. The, the office humor is like people either like it or they absolutely hate it. Like my family absolutely hates it. Um, doesn't think it's funny at all. And, and I, I understand that I, well, I don't understand it cause I think it's funny, but like, I will, I will respect that. Cause I I get that, but I'm more shocked that I didn't know this. I, you know how many office gifts I have on my computer that are just oh, saved yes, for just like, I, just, I, just deployment. Kind of in, in, 
everyday situations. And I had no idea that you'd never seen the office before. So all of these gifts that I send you, you have no idea what they are. Pretty much like, uh, yeah. Incredible. (laughs) Yet somehow they still work in a lot of situations. Um, But yeah, no, I, I, the the context behind most of them are completely lost on me. Wow. But yes, I'm aware of how many that you have. I think I try to make everybody aware. It's like a, I, for some reason, it's born of pride with me that I have so many. It, it just, it's just like a personality trait of mine, which probably says something bad about me. Um, okay. Now, now I'm he, afraid I'm going to find a, like a link to like the Scott's Tots episode in my email or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe the worst episode of television that I've ever seen. Like, like we, we, that episode comes on and we skip ahead. We don't watch it. It's too, it's too cringy. I like, that's the one where I'm like, yep, I get what you're talking about. It's too cringy. I can't do it. Michael needs to, Michael needs to stop. Needs to go away. Um, temperature check level of concern one to 10, 10 being the most concerned. I'm not going to give you an office, um, relation with that one to 10. Where yet? Is it really a one to 10 scale if we're talking temperatures here? Because okay, fine. Ten would all be bad <laughs> if we're talking temperature. Okay, fine. Um, Scoville heat index. I don't know what the numbers are. Like, like milk, milk, all the way up to like whatever the thing is at Buffalo. I'm a wimp with heat, so I can't do it. But like whatever the the, the flavor is at Buffalo that you have to like sign a waiver and it's like a competition thing that you do. We, to- we, can, we can just go with the one through 10 scale. Like that's fine. It's just I wouldn't call it a temperature check if we're doing that. No, see, now you're like calling me out on my own podcast. So like, okay, temperature that's check. kind of what I do though. Temperature check, milk all the way up to um, whatever Buffalo's hottest hot sauce is. Go. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll go with now uh, you See, now you have to come up with a, with a snappy um, response. Now you have to come up with, with some kind of some kind of comment. I don't that, eat wings. I don't eat that, spicy things. That so fits on the, really... the Scoville heat index. Yeah, I, I, I don't eat wings. I don't, uh, I don't like spicy food. So like, I don't even know like what i don't yeah okay all right well this Um, segment is crash and burn how (laughs) concerned are you jacob padilla right now thursday december 16th how concerned are you with this basketball team moving forward i'm concerned i'm not quite as concerned like i think that the just how bad the last two was is a result of um circumstances specific to this kind of last week two weeks um as opposed to a sign that the team has completely quit um, so I, I don't think we're at the point where it's like, um, sound the alarms, this thing is going down uh, in flames immediately. But if, if we, if, if they lose, I'll put it this way, if they lose to Kansas, I'll be at a 10. If, especially if they, they don't come out and like, if they lose on a buzzer beater, it won't look great. But if they come out and just lose by a few possessions or more, um, then we're hitting 10 on that, that one through 10 scale for, for worry. Um, it right now, I'd say it's probably about seven, eight, somewhere in that range. We're pretty worried, uh, but not to the point where I think the season is completely over with uh, if they can, like, I want to see what Hoiberg has done with this last week. Like what, ha- what tweaks has he come up with and what is it going to look like against Kansas state coming off these back-to-back bad losses? Does the team, like how, how did the team take those losses? Are they going to come out with a renewed, uh, renewed fire, new fight um, to, to get this thing back on track? And um, can he find new ways to get Bryce in good situations? Um, can they find ways to 
diversify the offense and get guys involved in other ways until the shots start falling. So um, that's when we said it multiple times, but that Kansas state is probably, probably the biggest game of the season thus far, just because of what the results and how that game plays out could mean moving forward. Sure. Um, completely unrelated topic. Is Urban Meyer the worst coaching hire in the history of the NFL? <laughs> it's uh, it's it's up there. He, he's uh, up there, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you can't even make it through the first year of a five-year mega deal, and they're firing you after midnight local time uh, because they're like, all right, this this is enough. Like, shot counts. Like, I just put put out the press release. I'm done with this. Like, that, that that's pretty impressive, especially when you got stories about kicking kickers and how poorly he treats all his assistants who pretty sure he was the one that hired those guys. Right. So shouldn't you have done the background to see if they were, if they kind of met your winning requirements before you hired them? Well, but, see, he thought Tim Tebow could be a tight end and I love Tim Tebow, point. but I've seen the tape. Yeah. That um, the most, point. the most damning thing I think I've seen this entire season, the most damning thing I think I've seen, this is a tweet from Demetrius Harvey. Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer was asked about Andre Sisko playing more oh, yeah. again. Urban Meyer said, quote, Sisko is playing a little bit more, I believe. I don't have his numbers in front of me, um, end quote. Demetrius tweeted that Sisko has played, or Sisko played zero defensive snaps in the previous game. Um. He doesn't even know who he's sending out there. Yeah. Well, that, and that's been a problem. Like the personnel usage, the entire, like uh, Robinson's usage all season. Um, when you've got your rookie quarterback, like begging you to play this guy and somehow he still doesn't play. Um, yeah. It's just been in a disaster from start to finish in every possible way. And it also kind of like all the stories you hear coming out makes you wonder if, if he acted this way with professionals, how, how did he treat, and I know like Michael Thomas came out in support of him and, um, and I'm sure some superstars that things went really well with wouldn't have much bad to say about him, but how, sure. how, did, how did he treat the, the third string redshirt sophomore right guard? Like you just wonder about kind of how did he treat so many of the players under his watch during his time in college where when players had so much less so much less voice and ability to object and to, to put it out there. Like that's, that's kind of uh, where, where my head turns at the end of all this, after we see how he operated when there's this kind of a microscope on him and he's dealing with guys that are like, no, I'm not going to, not going to stand for this. Well, I think, I think we have enough evidence at this point to, to, to pretty confidently say that urban Meyer is not exactly a paragon of morality. Um. <laughs> Yes, I genuinely well. think he put a bet on himself not lasting a year. Like as ridiculous as it sounds, like the whole thing just is, is, is beyond ridiculous. I'm like, I, well, it, it's, I, it's remarkable. Or either that or his ego is just that big. And as we've seen in multiple cases, sometimes a big ego can lead you to um, kind of persevere through uh things that uh, should signify, hey, you probably should change things. Like, no, I'm going to do it my way because my way has always worked for me. And somebody asked me, 
Yeah. Somebody asked me if he's going to kill the college coach to NFL coach pipeline. And I was like, you know what I'm, you know what I'm hoping for next? I'm hoping that Dan Mullen goes to the NFL and gets a head coaching job in the NFL and is really good at it. (laughs) And then you would have two instances of failed college coaches jumping to the NFL and being pretty successful counting Cliff Kingsbury in there as well. And you have multiple instances of super successful college coaches going to the NFL and flaming out spectacularly. That would be, that would be really interesting to me. And I, I'm, I'm now rooting for Dan Mullen to, uh, to do that. Maybe Dan Mullen to the Chicago bears, maybe, maybe somewhere Greg's head is exploding. Um, maybe, maybe that's what happens. Jacob, you got to go. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming on this podcast. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, especially when we're talking basketball. Thanks, dude. Well, hopefully uh, we've got better things to talk about next time. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, follow Jacob on Twitter. Listen to his podcast. He's also got the Nebraska Press postgame show with Damon Benning. And uh, he's in Columbus right now for volleyball coverage. So make sure you're reading his volleyball coverage on HailVarsity.com. Make sure you're reading everything on HailVarsity.com. There's a new magazine coming out also, so make sure you get subscribed to Hail Varsity. It's HailVarsity.com backslash subscribe. Keep listening to this podcast. Leave it a review. Leave it a five-star rating. And we will be back next week. Thanks, guys. Media Production.